It's the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast with your hosts, Stan Dryav and Nick Bracha. Welcome to the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast. This is your host, Stan Dryav, and my co-host, the Mike Bell to my Valentina Shevchenko, Nick John Braccia the third is on with me. We're going to break down UFC Fiziev versus Gamro. A pretty good card coming up this weekend, and we're going to quickly talk about UFC Fight Night Grosso versus Shevchenko too that we're coming off of right now. Nick, it is good to be on with you, brother. How are you? Likewise, man. I'm still uh, keeping you at a distance with my jab. Still in the lead here. Superior picking in 2023. What's keeping me at a distance, Nick, mm-hmm. is your COVID, man. I ain't trying to get near that, man. I ain't trying to get anywhere close to that. It's the only reason I haven't I haven't mauled you yet, Nick. Uh, COVID, COVID absolutely almost tapped me out. My coaches, my coaches were like, "Hang in there." They're like, "Defend, defend." Did you announce your you retirement? Know, like, move to, up? move, move to the left. I was, yeah, I was, I was tapping every which way, but the ref didn't see it. So eventually, COVID's arms got tired, and I got out. That's great. I'm, I'm I'm glad I'm glad you're on the men, man. I'm glad you're on the comeback. I know it's not fully healed. I know how that is, dude. It's like on and off weakness for for days and weeks. Uh, but in the meantime, man, we do have a couple things to dive into, and I know we've been off for a couple weeks here. Let's quickly discuss last week's fight night: Shevchenko versus Grosso. Too. Um, I think you and I, you and I expected this to be a competitive fight, and it was that, right? Shevchenko being past her prime at this point. but Very competitive. Yeah, no doubt. And that's the thing. is Shevchenko, in my opinion, has been past her prime for years now. This is, this is not a new thing. It's just in a really, really weak division. When you're fighting people like Lauren Murphy, Jessica Andrade, Jennifer Maya, Caitlin Shukagian, Liz Carmoche, Jessica I, for God's sake. When you're fighting opponents like that, you can get away with being you know, steps below your, your absolute elite as Valentina Shevchenko, and you can still win, all right? Talia Santos arguably should have earned that win over her last time. Alexa Grosso choked her out in the fourth round of their last fight, and then they went to that split draw last weekend where, you know, Valentina Shevchenko probably should have gotten the nod that that fifth round, probably shouldn't have been a 10-8. I kind of see where Mike Bell is coming from, where Shevchenko looked like she was in dire straits with that minute, with about a minute and a half left. She was just getting pounded on relentlessly and could do nothing except for kind of squint her eyes and, and try, you know, try to move and try to scramble. Yeah, but she had, but she had won the three minutes of the round ahead of time. It's... Yeah, but... Yeah, she she did, but again, the dominance I think of of that moment um, is why she deserves the round. It's dominant. It's well, it's you know, it's three Ds: damage, dominance, duration. Yep. She had you know she had dominance. She had a good some damage. She had a fair a good amount of damage. It wasn't it wasn't for the duration of the round though. If that was for three and a half to four minutes of the round, go for it. You know, I get it. So you scored it for Shevchenko as well. But I definitely gave. The, I definitely scored the, the the fifth round ten nine Grosso. I thought there was a pretty good chance it was two two going into five. Yeah, I, I thought there was a fair chance of that. And you're right, the fourth round could have gone either way. The thing that's just obviously clear is that against a fighter of Grosso's ability, and she does have good punching power, but she's never. I mean, she's never been like, you know, she's not. Um, Amanda Nunes, like, or Cyborg, like, it's, but she, point being that um, Shevchenko is, is vulnerable now. She has vulnerabilities that we haven't really seen before until her last three fights or so. We saw Santos exploit vulnerabilities. We saw Grasso exploit all kinds of vulnerabilities on the ground 
and hitting her hitting her so hard coming in that she backflipped over like Frankie Edgar, you know, getting hit by Gray Maynard. It was, uh, you know, that was surprising to see that even in spite of her tight game plan uh, and her and her pretty darn good execution and her will to win. Um, I, you know, I don't know what happened with the brain fart there in the fifth round. She certainly could have stayed out of that position. Um, but she's, yeah, she's not, she's definitely not as elite. And when you look at this evolving division, right, and you see the Macy Barbers, the Tracy Cortezes, the, who else is in 125 now? It's like a pretty, it's a, oh, the Aaron Blanchfields, right. like, it's a, uh, you know, it's a, it's a really, it's a strong division, and and it's clear that the Shevchenko era, uh, you know, is is over. It's just a question of whether, you know, Grasso is going to keep this. But I I also feel like, and God love Alexa Grasso, she's a gamer and she's a, she's a good fighter. I do think she's going to be a transitional champion. I don't think she's going. I I do I do think that that Aaron Blanchfield will beat her. I think there's probably three. I think there's probably three or four women in the weight class. Um, who I would pick against Alexa Grasso. Yeah, I mean, I think there's basically a 50-50 chance that either woman wins the third fight between them. And, I mean, there's an argument to be made that if Shevchenko wins, that there could be a fourth fight, right? This could be Brandon moreno Figueredo all over again, where it went very similarly. The first fight, uh, I don't know if the first fight was a draw, but one of the fights was a draw, um, and, and each of them picked up a win, and then it ended up that actually Moreno was clearly the better fighter at the end of it, and maybe part of it was Figueredo's age and the fact that he had to cut down more and more to 125, but Shevchenko is on a ticking time clock. She really is, man. She has a tremendous amount of Muay Thai fights prior to her mixed martial arts experience. Granted, she probably dominated the majority of her fights outside of the Amanda Nunes fight, um, the, the couple of Amanda Nunes fights, I should say, right? She's essentially dominated the majority of her fights on the come-up. I know she actually has a loss to Liz Carmouche from back in 2010, which is fascinating. But, you know, like it's not like she's taking a lot of miles per se in each fight, but she has a tremendous amount of fights. She has 28 mixed martial arts bouts, which is huge for a 35-year-old, right? And I think there's still some questions as to if there's a difference between the women's divisions and the men's divisions when it comes to, like, you know, in the men's divisions below a certain weight limit, 170 and below, age is a huge factor. Whereas at heavyweight, you can be 41 years old and you can potentially be the champion is what it seems like, right? Um, I'm not sure I'm not sure what, what how that's going to work at 125, 135, and 115 in the women's divisions, but Shevchenko is past her prime. She is on the come down. She is not on the come up. She is still offensively super talented, right? But she can be taken down. She can be dominantly controlled on the ground if she is on her back, right? So as offensively talented as she is, Overall, defensively, there are some lapses. And to be fair, standing up, she's pretty damn solid, but the right kind of pressure game can work. Her jab was a big factor, I think, in what allowed her to make the first, like, start to take back that first fight against Grasso. And it was a factor here. It's the reason why she was able to control uh, rounds two, three, uh, rounds two and three, anyway. And so she's still capable on the feet, right? Against a good boxer. But if somebody's able to take her down and somebody has the, the skills to actually do something with that takedown, she is not what she used to be. And and maybe she always had this weakness. She just never had an opponent to exploit it. 
Well, I just think we know, you know, the the subsequent generations are bigger, stronger, faster, and more more well-rounded. I'm not so sure that anybody on that top 10 list is faster than Shevchenko. I think athletically, she's still beyond most of those women. I think Firo would fuck her up. You think she'd fuck her (laughs) up? Really? That's crazy. Yes. I think she's, I I think she's enormous. Alexa Grasso is not very big, and her shots were hurting. Like, Firo is fucking big. If she if she sits in sits on her punches, I think she can I think she can really keep Shevchenko on the back foot, and I think Blanchfield would be able to do what Santos did, but better. I, I tend to think that part of it you're probably right on, right? Is the, the way that Blanchfield was able to beat Santos, and that was a really risky fight for her to take, considering uh, you know for both fighters really, considering both of them were on the cusp of that title fight considering how good the other one was, this fight could have been for the title, that Blanchfield-Santos uh, matchup. And yeah, I think, I think I mean, blanchfield Furrow is going to be the, you know, that I can't wait to see that. I, I look forward to that. That should be fascinating. And you, you tend to think- And frankly, after a year and a half off Tracy Cortez, like I was expecting her to be a hot mess. She looked, she looked yeah, she good. Did. I don't, she might be too stout. She might be too wrestling focused. I don't know how... You know, I don't know how her reach is going to go against the Furrows. Like, she's got, she really, you know. Well, I didn't think that Jasmine just, just, uh, just sued a vicious, uh, looked like she had her A game, like, at all compared to her other fights. I don't know if she fought too much this I think, year. I think Jasmine, I think Jasmine was at her best. She was just, uh, she was just fighting, fighting a more skilled. She looks slow. She is slow. She's always been slow. She's fighting a more skilled, much faster, more athletic opponent. And, like, I mean, if you have all of those disadvantages, you better have a serious mental edge, right? And she had that in some of those matchups, but Cortez is not one to wilt when things get tough. I I thought she looked mm-hmm. way... F- I thought she looked so much faster in her fight against Miranda Maverick. That's because Ma- that's because Maverick... Well, I mean, look look at that fight. She's not very fast. She's just imposing. She just is relentless, yeah. right? She, she is the unathletic pressure fighter she is almost the kind of tony ferguson who to be fair used to be pretty fast right she she's not super athletic she's just relentless and she is mentally just so like you know i guess the relentless uh the 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 word relentless encompasses all of it right like she no matter what's happening she's going to keep trying to win the fight and and cortez just was not going to well she took she took the right yeah she took the wrestler down several times it was very interesting that justin vidius won uh, one wrestling ga- grappling and control of I didn't expect that at all. Also, I just want to mention we can't forget in this division because it's a fun division all of a sudden. Um, you know, Natalia Silva is in there too. Yeah, I mean she's she's really on the come up. She's on the lower end of the division at this point, but that that's fair, man. Like there's there's again there's a lot to look forward to. Casey O'Neill, despite the recent loss, like she's number fourteen right now. She's pretty legit herself, man. Like there's there's some serious talent on the come up. Yeah, it's a, it's way better than 135. 135 is the light heavyweight of the women's divisions, and 145 is is worse than heavyweight, which is like that's saying something. Um, but yeah, I mean you're right. Here's the thing: Aaron Blanchfield, Mano Fierro, Talia Santos, right? Part of this new genera- generation. Macy Barber, who's figured out some of those kinks, who's actually really taking advantage of her athleticism, who's got cardio for days, who I think is going to benefit from five-round fights. She's on the come-up. We've got Tracy Cortez. We've got Natalia Silva, Casey O'Neill. Kareem Silva's looking pretty good, on, and, and I know it's early to, to tell there, but there's a lot of serious talent on the come-up, and this is what I've been waiting for. Back when Joanne Calderwood was the, like, oh, she's going to be a top contender. She's going to buy for the title. And I was like, the fact that Joanne Calderwood is at the top of this division and Caitlin Chukagan are at the top of this division tells you everything you need to know. It's an extremely weak division. That is 
not likely to be the case a year from now, right? Right now, it's really developing division, and I'm excited about it. 115 is still fantastic, but but this one is really coming uh, into its own. And again, there's no there's no surprise as to why Valentina Shevchenko is suddenly looking way more human, right? It's like she may have been she may as well have been in Bellator as the only decent fighter in her division, getting fed all of these in, uh, underdeveloped. Um, under-athletic fighters, and now suddenly she's fighting at the UFC level is what it feels like to me, right? Michael Chandler did okay in Bellator, came into the UFC, and he has a losing record, facing top opponents, to be fair, but it's easy to look like a world killer when you're out there. Ben Askren shouldn't have a single win in the UFC. That that Robbie Lawler win should have been a no contest, or Robbie Lawler probably would have beaten him, right? But, but uh, he dominated, was undefeated outside of the UFC, and then couldn't have any luck in the UFC. There's something to that. And Valentina Shevchenko somehow experienced that inside the UFC, um, you know, it's not like 135 was terribly stacked back when she was competing there anyway. And outside of that, we had Jack Della Magdalena, Magdalena versus Kevin Holland. Um, a really a competitive fight, but Jack Della was just landing the bigger, more powerful shots. I thought 2-1 Jack Della was pretty clear. I thought, um, yeah, I thought I thought um, JDM deserved it. I thought he looked, I thought he looked good. He's, I mean, he's just... He's a really talented guy. He knows how to win. His fight IQ is really high. He's got very good like cage and situational awareness. Um, and he implemented a strategy, and Holland couldn't do anything to stop him. I thought Holland would take uh, would take some more risks. I thought sometimes the kicks, the head kicks were there, that the body kicks were there, and he didn't really use his kicks. Um, he decided to box a boxer for the most part, if I, if I recall. Um so I was expecting uh, a little more ca- uh, throw caution in the wind, a bit more creativity from Holland, because um, he didn't really change it up once he was clearly like a, a slightly le- less. I don't want to say less like a potent, less skilled puncher, but a less skilled a less skilled boxer. Yeah. He's a, he's just a you know like it's uh, Jack Jack has extremely high level bo- like boxing for MMA. No, he he really doesn't, and I think Jack also like he you know he he wasn't just. Waiting for a moment, he wasn't just trying to explode and back his opponent up and, and throw an 18 punch volley here. He knew that he was facing a higher level of opposition. He knew that he was coming off of a pretty unimpressive performance against the UFC debuting debuting fighter, and so he came in there and he was fighting in spurts. He was exploding in spurts. He was waiting for the right opportunities, and when he got an angle, when he got a counter opportunity, he would explode with a clean combo and then reset. Right? He 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 didn't. He he took Kevin Holland seriously enough to give him some respect, but not too much respect which I think is the right way to go. And listen, Kevin Holland was never known for his MMA IQ. Kevin Holland was never known for his ability to adjust, right? That's the thing. Once once JDM had a move, had a combo that he could use to get to get an angle and get him up against the cage and land three to five yep. shots, he was able to just keep doing the same thing. Holland, Holland didn't stop that. He didn't figure it out. He knew he knew it was coming. He couldn't yeah, stop. Yeah, as is usually the case with tall, rangy fighters who prefer to have a moment to think so that they could set up their strikes. Pressure is going to work well against you. And Kevin Holland's not one to, you know, have this evasive footwork we saw with Israel Adesanya, right? Like like tall, rangy fighter who likes time to think. Pressure is going to work. Obviously, you can't be a shitty fighter who's pressuring and win. But if you're really skilled, if you're implementing the right kind of game plan, if you have the right answers, like Sean Strickland did to a lot of Izzy's offense, and you have good de- and you have great defense, absolutely, yeah. yeah, that is that is a big part of that key. Um, and if not great defense, then at least some serious durability, right? Uh, like like you you, you want to have some combination of both for sure because you are going to get tagged occasionally. Um, even though Israel Adesanya, you know, didn't seem like he was able to tag. Strickland at all. The, the, and the, pro- the problem there was everything Adesanya did, Strickland saw coming a mile away. Right, he saw it coming. And clearly, Eric Nixick, 
um, had him prepared, right? The way, and I know we're, we're jumping to a card that we didn't get to discuss, but the fact that um, uh, the fact that Israel Adesanya likes to likes to like extend his his lead hand toward you and kind of grab your hand to set up his right hand strike. Strickland was ready for it. He would grab Izzy's lead hand with both hands and then kick him, right? Like, he he had an answer for everything that Izzy did. Izzy was throwing leg kicks. Strickland was defending them well. Izzy likes to have his space to set up his offense. Strickland didn't give him the space to breathe. When Izzy was setting things up, Nixick would call out what he was setting up because Nixick clearly did the preparation. I think he's an underrated coach, and I think that's a that was a testament to him, right? Like, Sean Strickland's not known for being a high MMA IQ fighter either. He just does the same thing. It's the, it's the one-size-fits-all approach, but he tailored Sean Strickland. He was able to get into his head enough to tailor his one-size-fits-all approach uh, to the right extent to have him beat Izzy, and Jack Della had to tailor his approach slightly toward Kevin Holland because what he did last time was not going to work. What he did two fights ago was probably not going to work as well. And uh, Kevin Holland's a good fighter. You know, again, MMA Q is not his his uh, uh, flashpoint. He's going to be a co-main event fighter in this kind of card. He's going to be a main event fighter on, you know, lower-level fight nights. Um, he's going to be maybe a pay-per-view opener on the big pay-per-views. Like, this is his role, and it's okay. You beat Kevin Holland, you are in that top probably eight top seven, top eight range. If you can't beat him, you're not quite ready for it yet. He's a gatekeeper. Let's not kid ourselves. And that's okay. Like, like it's it, like he can wear that with a badge of honor. I, I don't know that it necessarily has to be a terrible thing. He's making a decent amount of money. The boss likes him. And, uh, you know, he can still make a career of this in a way that most MMA fighters can't. Nikolai, I think that's all we have to discuss about the past. We got to dive into UFC Fight Night Fizia versus Gamrot. Yeah, so I uh, I got the first pick. You huh? do have the first pick. You're still five and a half points ahead, Nick. But let's let's not kid ourselves. It's been extremely competitive for months now. You pick up a point, I pick up a point. You pick up three points, I pick up four points. It's been back and forth. You were in a in a lead of like nine points at some point, um, and I and I've tapered it down to five and a half. Yep, I'm gonna go with Mizuki Inoue uh, to defeat Hannah Goldie. I don't think Hannah Goldie is even in that weight class is a UFC caliber fighter. I think she's really into her OnlyFans. Uh, I think Inoue's just is a professional fighter. He's like is like better well rounded. Has had a little bit more success against high level competition. Hannah Goldie hasn't really done anything in the UFC to show that she should be around. I agree with the pick. Uh, probably a little bit less confident, mostly because in a way. And to be fair, Hannah Goldie's so bad that it's hard not to be confident uh, when she's facing a competent op- uh, a competent opponent. But, you know, Mizuki is coming off of a three-year layoff, and last time out, she was smoked by Amanda Lemos. So, you know, who knows? How is she going to recover from that mentally, right? Why was she out for three years? Was this injuries? Was she developing her game in the meantime? Was she down in the dumps? Is she still training with Ray Longo? I'm quickly looking at her Instagram. It looks like... It looks like she was not training with Ray Longo's team leading into this, right? So there's a camp switch to factor in here as well. It looks like she may have been possibly at... John Woods, Jim, possibly. It's, it's hard to tell. But in any case, um, I've... Uh, oh, you know what? There's a Sarah Longo picture, too, from uh, from 61 weeks ago. Never mind. Sorry. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm in agreement with I you. I mean, she's tw- she's also only 29. True, true. And, and that three-year layoff isn't going to be as taxing on her. You're, you're right, given that. And Hannah Goldie's absolutely terrible. She has a, a, a ranged karate game. She looks jacked, but she's super robotic. Um, and she doesn't really have a high output at all, and she just likes to, like, leg kick at range and throw punches that won't reach you, and Mizuki Inoue is a, is a competent boxer. She rolls well with punches. She's got a lot of grit. She's got a four-inch reach advantage in this matchup, right? 14 and six, plenty of experience, so I tend to agree with you. I think I, I think this is the right pick. Um, you know, it's just, again, hard to be confident uh, in a fighter that's coming off a three-year layoff. My, next, my first pick is going to be in the matchup between Cody Brundage and Jacob Malkoon. 
I've been singing the praises of, of uh, Jacob Malcone for a while now, man. Like, I picked him against Brendan Allen. I thought he beat Brendan Allen, right? Like, that shows you levels-wise where he's at. Um, he's not the best stand-up fighter on the planet, but he's got a really good jab. And he's continuing to develop that. I wish he was a little bit more aggressive. I wish he... And, and I'm sure he's working on this, right? Training with Robert Whitaker, you have one of the best training partners on planet Earth in this division by far when it comes to skill, right? And... And so he's making improvements, right? He he just coming off of a win over Nick Maximoff, who beat Cody Brundage, but Cody Brundage took this fight on short notice. By the way, Cody Brundage, who was uh, technically technically at the end of his UFC contract and a losing streak, but the fact that he kept stepping up for the UFC, they ended up giving him another shot here. And so this is kind of a make-or-break fight for him. If he loses this, my understanding is that he will not remain in the UFC coming off of that three-fight losing streak. Um, and if he wins this fight, then, then you know, he'll stick around. It's, it's a lot to ask for. I think Jacob, Jacob Malkoon, his MMA is way higher. He can get starched the way that we saw him get starched uh, uh, in his UFC debut against um, Phil, Phil Hawes. But, you know, if they fight right now... I'm going to pick him to beat Phil Haas. Like, like it, you know, you can get caught. Yes, Phil Haas is an explosive monster striker early on. <clears throat> but I think in a rematch, he would beat him. I think he beat Brendan Allen, so he should be, he should be what is it, one, two, three, four, and one in the UFC. He is three and two. I think he's going to do whatever he wants to Cody Brundage. Cody Brundage has this idiotic habit of going for guillotines as a wrestler. He never gets them. And then he ends up giving up top position, and he doesn't have much heart. Uh, he's he's a decent hammer, but not a good nail at all. So, you know, I'm pretty confident in Jacob Malkoon in this matchup. And if he can't get past this one, then maybe all the, you know, the hype that I at least praise, uh, threw upon him was unwarranted. Cool. I'm, uh, I'm with you on that. I'm going to go next. You know, we've got a rematch between, you know, 36 and 37-year-old uh, female fighters in Marina Rodriguez against Michelle Waterson. And I, I mean, Waterson's not only the older fighter at 37, um, and she's been through some wars, but she's still, you know, fighting above her natural weight class. And I think Marina Rodriguez despite the number of mental hiccups that she has um, and how beatable she can be late in a fight, I don't think that 37-year-old Michelle Watterson Gomez is the fighter to take advantage of that. I think the confidence that she got the nod once um, should help Rodriguez. And <clears throat> I just, I, yeah, I suspect, that, I suspect that Rodriguez is going to kind of put the nail in the coffin of uh, the Michelle Watterson project. Yeah, I tend to think you're right. This is very, very likely going to decision. Marina Rodriguez is very likely going to win. Just based on what happened in their last fight, right? Rodriguez is a big fighter at 115 pounds. Michelle Watterson Gomez could and probably should be fighting at 105. She's still on the smaller side of the division. Michelle Watterson is, like you said, she's up there in age. She's got way more miles on her, at least in the context of MMA, than does Marina Rodriguez. Um, it just seemed like the clinch for Rodriguez was a big advantage in their first fight. She kept it at kicking range, and being the much taller fighter at kicking range, you're going to have a huge advantage, especially since, <clears throat> excuse me, please, Michelle was often trying to counter with punches. Michelle's back was to the octagon almost the entire fight due to the pressure of Rodriguez. When Rodriguez would throw combos, Michelle Watterson would just cover up. There were no counters. So <clears throat> I, I, I tend to agree with you. I think you're making the right pick at the right I mean, time. The other thing to note is that their, their, their last fight was a five-rounder. Right, um, almost everyone on MMA decisions had it forty nine forty six for Rodriguez. Two of the judges had it that way. One of the judges had it forty eight forty seven. But the only round that judges unanimously gave to Michelle Waterson was the fourth round, which is not a round that they will be fighting. No, and, this, and this to round. be fair, um, if there's a time to beat Rodriguez, the first round, right? Like she always, almost always starts slow and. 
Watterson has the ground game to at least. I think she has. Me- I think she has mental lapses late, also. But. Yeah, I mean, she did lose to uh, to um, Lamos. Lamos. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, um, it, it, yeah. like late in that fight, and was relatively competitive. But Lamos had the more firepower. It's just like it's not the same dynamics here. Um, their their weaknesses are not the same. I do think that like if Watterson can get takedowns in those first couple of rounds, she can absolutely win a decision. There's no doubt about it because she's fighting close for the most part. But Watterson's one and five in her last six, and that one win was over uh, Angela Hill, who you know is is not elite. She's very good, and she'll give you a stern goddamn test. But she's not elite, right? And that fight arguably should have gone to. Angela. I also remember. I remember thinking Angela Hill won that fight, also, right? Or very. It was very. It was very competitive. Was I actually, again, as somebody who roots for Angela Hill, who's you know who's who's met and and at times trained with Angela Hill years ago, you know, I, I'm I'm biased toward Angela, but I thought that Watterson edged that fight very slightly because uh, of her work late. But it was super close. You're right. She could be 0-6 in her last six. So Watterson's not in a great place. And, and Marina Rodriguez, she's up there in age two, but I tend to think this is a matchup she can win again. I'm not sure why this rematch is, is being put together. Um, my next pick is going to be in the matchup between Brian Battle and A.J. Fletcher. AJ Fletcher actually has been at least part-time training at Factory X for this, which I think will be helpful. He's scrappy, he's tough. Super, super short arms, though, right? He's got a 10-inch reach disadvantage in this matchup. That's kind of crazy. Their height disadvantage is not nearly as stark, but their reach disadvantage is insane. And as much as, like, AJ Fletcher, I, I think if he had longer arms, he would have had better luck. He has some of those attributes. He has the wrestling to potentially give Battle some, uh, some trouble, given the trouble that battle had against Renat Fakratinov, but I think Renat Fakratinov is, is like a really good fighter. He's a top, you know, top 10, top eight range fighter, potentially, despite the fact that this is a really, really high level division. Um, I tend to think that Brian Battle being the bigger man, he's, he's got good eyes for, for what's coming at him and what he can counter with. We saw that in his last matchup, uh, in which he scored a first round knockout in a, otherwise, I think, oddswise, uh, competitive battle. Um, Brian Battle is also like more athletic than he used to be, right? He's like filling out his frame a little bit. You're seeing more muscle uh, as opposed to the Ultimate Fighter, where he where he looked a little bit more human. Um, I don't think that AJ Fletcher's got Renat Fakhrtinov level grappling, so I've got to go with Brian Battle to to get the win here. Uh, I'm with you on this pick. Also, I think you're making this pick at the right time. I'm about to do something a little risky because I do see a two point opportunity here, and I want to block you. Go for it. Um, so I'm going to take it. I I personally believe that Bryce Mitchell is overrated. I think him being a minus 222 favorite against Dan Iga is insane. Um, Iga is uh, odds uh, he's an underdog as high as plus 180. And the fact of the matter is that Bryce Mitchell has had success against guys built like him and dudes who are not that strong, like and guys that are rangy. Guys who've got skinny-ass little legs. Um, when you look at Dan Ige, like Bryce Mitchell the, has not had success against this this body type. And I know Dan Ige is no Ilya Teporia, but like he may be as strong. Dan Ige is very, very fucking strong. And he hasn't really shown that he's, um, that, you know, that he that he's a, that he's a, a bitch to grapplers. Like I don't... I think that I think that Mitchell's I think Ige is going to be able to keep Mitchell um, far enough away, uh, and he's going because he's going to be able uh, to hurt him, and because he throws so hard. Um, so I don't th- I just don't think Dan Ige is submittable by Bryce Mitchell, and I think um, I think Ige is probably going to land the more damaging shots, maybe, and pro- will probably win. I think he's going to win a surprise 
uh, split decision. I just do not see Mitchell's usual uh, control and grappling prowess uh, paying off against Ige. Now so, tell me why you th- tell me why you think I'm wrong. So to be honest, it's hard, right? With with Mitchell, like he was used to like part of what feeds his mental toughness is his confidence, and he's coming off of basically a thrashing at the hands of Ilya Tapori. Absolute, absolute thrashing, yes. Yeah, and and here's the thing. Like, he says he was sick. Normally, you wouldn't believe a goddamn thing that Bryce Mitchell says because he's absolutely fucking loony. But John Attic, who, like, doesn't usually volunteer this information, and he's pretty fucking honest, John Attic said that in the fighter meetings, he seemed terribly sick. Like, he seemed extremely low energy. Um, and so... You know, I, 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 I would buy that he was actually sick for that fight. Do I think he's, he would have uh, been more competitive? Yeah, maybe more competitive. He wouldn't have gotten completely blown out of the water had he been healthy. Um, but again, and then he was supposed to come back against Jonathan Pierce. And, and Jonathan Pierce pulled out. He was supposed to come back against Mufsar Evloev. And then some weird some weird marks on his body. I don't know if it was staph. I don't know if it was, it was some kind of a fluid that was put in so he can take an MRI or whatever. UFC ended up pulling him from that fight, right? Because he, like, did a... Who, Evloev or, Evloev or Mitchell? Uh, Mitchell. They, they pulled Mitchell okay. from that fight, right? And then leading up to this fight, this drama about his girlfriend, who's apparently, I don't know, blackmailing yes. him or some craziness. So, like, there's always drama around this dude. There's also an argument to be made that he may just be promoting his fights in this way, and this is how he's getting the attention. And it's effective, right? Like, the guy's... I don't, I don't think so. I think he's actually, like, brain... <laughs> what, I, I, think he's, I think he's a moron. He's, oh, he's absolutely a moron, but he's a likable moron, and, and he's a moron that... that you know, keeps you captivated, right? He's a captivating moron, I think is a, is a fair way to say it. Um, and so here's the thing. The, the takedown offense, the really, like from what we've seen, elite grappling of this man, that can make all the difference in the world. So if Bryce Mitchell is at his best, he can absolutely take Danny Gay down. And the main reason I say that is because Danny Gay's takedown offense is not that fantastic, right? The argument could be, could be made that when Bryce Mitchell fought uh, Edson Barboza, Edson Barboza, Probably better takedown defense than Dan Ige. Probably more, certainly more athletic, although Dan Ige is pretty damn athletic, don't get me wrong. More athletic than Dan Ige, but he's kind of adverse to a pressure style. So there's an argument to be made that it was a style matchup that favored uh, Mitchell more than this one does. But the fact that Dan Ige was taken down a bunch of times um, over his UFC career, the fact that his takedown defense numbers are not very impressive, that's what concerns me. So assuming that both of these guys are in a pretty decent place, Assuming that Bryce Mitchell should be able to get takedowns on, on the man that has given up a bunch of takedowns to Evlov. He gave up nine takedowns to Evlov. Now that's Mofsar Evlov. He's fantastic. I get that. Give up three takedowns to Korean Zombie. Um, gave up three takedowns to Mirsad Bektik back in the day. In a fight that he won, to be fair, by split decision. So the fact of the matter is that he can be taken down. I know he works at Extreme Couture with Eric Nixick, who I you know, was just recently singing the phrases of. So look, do I think you're making the right pick for two points? Yeah. There's too many question marks around Bryce Mitchell for, for him to be this big of a favorite. Um, I, I'm giving Brett Mitchell the edge, assuming that he can get takedowns. But dude, Danny Gay hits incredibly fucking hard. And he's crafty. And he's extremely experienced. And he's a good grappler. Particularly when he's on and top. He's very mentally strong. He is very, you're right. He, he, he will keep trying. Um, I don't know that he's the best adjuster. And the fact that he's going to be the no, he's not. He's not, not going to help. He's not. He's not the best adjuster. I'm just. I'm believing he's going to be that. He's going to make it di- difficult for Mitchell to get him down. Yeah. So you're. But I understand where you're coming case, from. But again. Yeah. So my next. Would you, pick were is you going to make? Were you going to? Were you going to make this pick? Were you going to make an underdog um, but, pick here? I was I was considering it. Yeah, like this is one in which you got to consider given these odds, given how good Danny Gay is. Um, it's something I would consider. I probably wouldn't have made it quite this soon, though. 
Oh yeah, I would. Yeah, if this if this was not an underdog, if this was not a two pointer, I would not be picking this. Yeah, now. This I, is I hear that, and I understand you wanting to block me too. I, I get where you're coming from. Um, my next pick is going to be in the matchup between Tamiris Vidal and Mons- Monsterot Rendon. Rendon is tall. She's like chiseled. 5-0, and though, right? So pretty developing fighter. Two of those wins by split decision. Two of her last three wins, right? And so, like, there's arguments to be made. She could be 3-2. and two. Um, She's 34 years old. So, like, prospect level, right? Like, she's entering the UFC at a time when your athleticism starts to head in the wrong direction. She's relatively slow. She's got a pretty sharp one, too, though. She's got a high output. Um, you know, goes for, like, body lock takedowns, but not a whole lot else to her game. And Vidal is, she's 25 years old, notably younger, has UFC experience, 7-1 and one record, right? So not many more fights, but she's explosive as hell, really good clinch knees, throws some pretty solid power, um, flying knees, excuse me, and got some pretty explosive straight punches. The kind of punches that, like, when she lands, you can tell she landed hard, uh, and just the way that her opponent's body reacts. I got to give the edge to Vidal here. I realize there's some risk here because Rendon could be just tough as fucking nails and, and might just put it on her, especially with her high output. That's really what concerns me in this one. But I got to go with Vidal to be the more explosive, uh, more athletic fighter who is not taking this fight on short notice. I'm probably going to regret this pick. I'm just calling it out there right now, Nick. Oh, I'm sure we'll both regret lots of picks. All right, now things get a little, a little wild on this card. Um, blah, blah, blah. This is, it's this uh, is good podcast content right here. Blah. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck it. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with the uh, the size of in the stupid heavyweight fight. Um, Jake Collier, who had a, a little, you know, had had a couple of fights where we were like, okay, this guy's gonna give it, you know. He's he's uh, he's trying he's trying hard and maybe the 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 shift in uh, you know the shift in weight was for the better but um, he's co- he's on a big losing streak and he's coming up against a guy on a big winning streak uh, who showed that I think he can take out a guy who's probably not a natural you know you're getting you got a very very natural heavyweight against a dude who's not a natural heavyweight. And I think Usman only has to land one in this fight, so I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with him because I figure he'll land it. And Collier is used to losing at this point. Yeah, Collier looks really good early. He's fast as hell because he's got the frame of a middleweight, but he's carrying all that weight, and he just gets tired. Do I think he works hard? I'm not so sure, right? If you're going up, you know, granted from years ago from middleweight to heavyweight, and you're just like a soft pudgy-looking heavyweight, quite frankly, if we're going to be honest, right? Like, he used to look pretty in shape at middleweight. Is he working that hard? Does he have that great of cardio? Or is it just the fact that he's carrying all this weight as he competes against legitimate heavyweights? Um, Collier is going to be the faster man early. He can piece him up standing. But Usman should have the durability. I think training with Kamar Usman's team, like having Kamar Usman in his corner and there with him in training camps, I think that's going to go a long way in his confidence and in tactics and strategy. And so I tend to agree. I think worst case, he can hold Collier against the fence. Well, you're, just, like, you're also dealing with a... I also... I don't think Collier can knock it, will knock out Usman with one punch. You know, not, and not all likely. Usman has to do is hit him once. Yeah, no, no not, not likely. I, I, it's hard to disagree with you there. But listen, at one point, Jake Collier... And I don't think a, he's going to be able to take him down. It's not like Collier's got, like, incredible no. takedown prowess. No, in fact, either, if so. Collier's on his back against a legitimate heavyweight, 
he can't do a goddamn thing about it. Like, the, yeah. the body weight on him, like, it just takes over. Again, he looks good early. He looks fast early. It just doesn't last, and I'm not sure that he's able to get Mohamed Usman out of there. So, I tend to agree with you on the pick, but it's, it's hard to be confident in a pair of um, low-level heavyweights, if we're going to be honest, right? Um, my next pick is going to be in the matchup between Dan Argueta and Miles Johns. So, the odds are a little bit further apart than you would expect in this one. Um, and I think like part of it is that Dan Argueta, like in his moments has looked pretty good, right? His last fight against Ronnie Lawrence. And I picked Ronnie Lawrence, uh, in that one, or, or at least I, I, I thought that Ronnie Lawrence was going to win the fight with some confidence. Cause Ronnie Lawrence is a relentless wrestler and he's really good at what he does. Dan Argueta was fucking tossing Ronnie Lawrence around for a couple of minutes before he, you know, uh, locked in a, a, a choke and the referee stopped it, even though, even though there was no tap. And so, uh, I believe that was no nonsense. Keith Peterson throwing some nonsense into a fight in that one. Um, and so he, here's the thing: the, a win over Nick Aguirre. Yeah, I know he got dominated by Damon Jackson. Uh, Dan Argueta did, but Damon Jackson's a much bigger man, right? A, a, a weight division up on short notice. But still, getting dominated by David Jackson is not the greatest look, and a win over Nick Aguirre by decision is, you know, it's, it's not that impressive, quite frankly. Ronnie Lawrence dominating him early, that looks pretty good, but we've seen Ronnie Lawrence look weak against a wrestler before in his fight against uh, Kakromanov. So, for two points, I think I've got to go with a much more experienced Miles Johns. Miles Johns is a really good wrestler. He's a really good defensive wrestler in particular, right? That goes a long way. He has an excellent jab that he's been developing. And John Castaneda, you know, he got him out of there in the third round. But John Castaneda is just a dynamic striker. And here's the thing. Dan Aguetta could absolutely win this fight. I think he's, he's, he's honestly very talented. But given the experience edge that Miles John has, 13-2, he's fought some pretty solid-level UFC fighters. Yeah, he lost to Mario Batista and John Castaneda, who to me are very similar fighters. Um, and Dan Aguetta has a pressure game in, in a similar vein, but not in striking. He's more of a pressure wrestler. And so I got to take Miles Johns for two points. My initial thought on this was that Argueta was probably going to take it, but the experience edge to Miles Johns, the fact that Miles Johns has an excellent jab, the fact that he should have good defensive wrestling, I've got to take a swing for two points on this one. Nice. Well, I'm going to I'm going to meet you with another two-point pick. Let's go. I don't know. I don't um, think there are I've any seen, more two-point picks, are there? There are. I'm I'm seeing multiple multiple uh more than more than one better uh who have tim means at plus 150. all right let me see i saw i saw or put odd shark odd shark has it and caesars has it i knew caesars had it this might have been a very recent update because if i had seen this earlier i would have picked tim means but go ahead i'm, I'm looking at the odds um, now i'm on odd shark ufc odds it has it says plus 160. so i'm only seeing i'm only seeing caesars nikolai Look, go to go to oddsharks.com. Oh no, that's the opening, not the current. It opened at plus one sixty. Yeah, that sounds about right. Crap, I got all right. Well, now I'm just gonna look until I find one. Until I, there's gonna be one more that has it at plus one fifty. Th this was much wider, uh, and I think a lot of smart betters put some money on Tim Means, and the line just got much closer. Again, if Tim Means was available for two points, uh, I had been watching this. If we had recorded oh, earlier man, in the week, that would have been. I've my seen it. Pick. Yeah, I mean, I'm seeing it definitely at one. Yeah, same here. It's got to be. It's got to be there on two on a second one. I'm just gonna use the rest of the time looking for that, so I can ver so I can validate this pick. All right. Um, Take your time. But wh why don't you tell me why you're <laughs> making the pick, and then as I'm making my next pick, you can. Well, because because Andre Filo's gotten first of all Tim Means in, against Alex Morano until he got caught in that choke looked terrific. 
He looked really good. And I still think he's durable enough that an undersized guy at this weight class, um, like like Fialo. Wait, well, this is a hang on. Let me make sure I'm not being stupid here. This is at... Should be at 170. Oh, no. This is Fialo's, Fialo's moving down. No, I, I think Fialo's been at 170 for... Fialo's been... Oh, he's been at... He's been at one. I thought he was at one. No, he was at. Oh, I guess you're right. I guess he was. I don't know why I thought he was at one eighty five. Because he's fought some he's guys still, that look like they could be middleweights, maybe. Plus, he's a very middleweight yeah. centric fighter. If you if you if you look at the middleweight landscape, he's like more of a middleweight, uh, low level fighter than a welterweight one. Yeah. Well, regardless, he's been um, getting hurt a lot. <laughs> yep. Yeah. You know, he looked he looked great when he showed up in that short notice fight against Michelle Pajea a year and a half ago. Had a you know then he buzzed Miguel Be- uh, Beza and put uh, Beza and put him out. But since then, Jake Matthews, the elder Muslim Salikov, and Joaquin Buckley, all just beat him up. Like he's a headhunter who's not particularly durable. And I think Tim Means is craftier, faster, has more skills. And even though he does hit Fela, does hit hard. I I think my, I think Means is is dur- I think Means is durable and crafty enough to outlast this guy. Uh, over three rounds and to po- and possibly uh, to hurt him, I thought mean I thought means even though he got choked out by Murano should have been encouraged by his ability to hang with the younger man, uh, you know in that fight and he's looked he's looked pretty good lately, to, I mean for for an old dude the Max Griffin fight was really competitive, you know it was a split decision, um, yeah I think at this state <coughs> at this stage <coughs> to means is a is a is a more is a is a more durable, more all around fighter with better ways with more ways to win, even at thirty nine. Yeah, you who used to consistently pick Andre Fialo throughout his goddamn UFC career, and I kept telling you, like, dude, this guy's not that good. This guy's not that good. And you were like, I'm telling you, he's got power, he's got that left hook. He does have a left hook, and that's the concern, right? He can buzz Tim Means, but Tim Means tends to get buzzed on the feet. He's not like just knocked out. He gets buzzed, and then it's more often than not a club and sub is how he loses, right? Alex Morono got him that way. Kevin Holland got him that way. They tagged him first. Daniel Rodriguez got him in the exact same way. He tagged him with the left hand, if I remember correctly. Got him in that guillotine. This is how he tends to lose. It doesn't tend to be just by a knockout. And Andre Fialo does have a solid hook. Uh, he trades with a great team in, in um, Kilcliffe FC, but he is really adverse to getting hit. He just doesn't like it at all. On top of that, and I'm sure like his, his, his fear of getting hit is part of what makes him easy to knock out. He's not durable. He takes clean shots. He's so he's easy not to durable. Learn and Means is also smart, and he's gonna know what. There's only there's one thing he's got to really watch out for. Yeah, it's and essentially I, I that left hook. Should, you're right. I think I think he should be able to avoid that. Not only I think that, Means is better. But a left hook is harder to land against a southpaw than an orthodox fighter. Tim Means is a southpaw, right? So it's the right straight that's going to work well against a southpaw more often than not. I'm not saying that left hooks aren't landable against southpaws. It's just not the easier punch to land, especially with a fighter as limited as Fialho is overall. Um, uh, look, Fialho's going to possibly look good early, and Tim Means looks good early. He, Tim Means tends to drop off, right? He's a fraction of his former self. He's losing to some solid opposition. They both are, but Tim Means is a fraction of his former self. His grappling defense has not been looking very good lately. Years of drugs. He's been in prison. Years of mixed martial arts competition at the highest level, right? Like that. All of that is going to tax you, but I don't tend to think that he dropped off enough to lose this matchup. Outside of just like a starching by Fialho of, a, of just a big shot, I tend to think Tim Means should have the wherewithal to win the fight. I, I'm in agreement with you. Uh, unfortunately, it's not a two-pointer for you, though. Sorry, Berta. My next pick is going to be in the matchup between Charles Jordan and Ricardo Ramos. Um, 
I, it's probably Hikardo Hamos, right? Because if, if the R is the first letter, you, you pronounce it as an H uh, when it comes to Brazilian names and, and the such. Here's the thing. Ricardo Ramos has a pretty good back take game. He's got really good spinning back elbow. He times it like nobody else on planet Earth, and he's always been able to do that, right? His his vision is pretty solid in there. Charles Jordan tends to be a slow starter, right? He used to be this guy who spams, you know, who spams flying knees every odd every other minute in a fight, and since then he's been imploring his jab. He's he gets stronger and stronger and stronger over the course of the fight. His grappling defense is not great. He can be taken down. He can be dropped. Although he will never let that uh, be finished, it seems like, right? He's just relentless. Um, and so I think I've got to go with Charles Jordan here. This is one of, if not the closest fight on the card when it comes to picks, that and the main event. And I've got to go with Charles Jordan. I tend to think he's going to survive the first round if Hamos is looking pretty good. Hamos, it sounds like, because he's got a family now, didn't go to Team Alpha Male to train for this. He stayed in Brazil with, you know, a team that's not necessarily uh, all that heralded. Um, Charles Jordan is relentless. He's got the UFC experience. He's fought some pretty good competition at this point, right? Both of these guys, it's not like there's a big experience edge at this point, despite the fact that Ricardo Ramos has been in the UFC fighting for so many years. He was a prospect back in like 2015, and he hasn't really improved a whole lot since then, in my opinion. Um, maybe a little bit more crafty, more experience, right? But uh, I'm going to go with Charles Jordan. I, I think he's going to put put the foot on the gas pedal and make Hamos not really want to be there. Having said that, can Charles Jordan absolutely pressure himself into a spinning back elbow? One million percent, which is why this is my last pick. But I'm going to go with Jordan on this one. Does this wait? Do I not? And I don't have a pick of the main event. We're just not picking the main event we're, for points. We're not officially picking the main event because. Oh, that sucks. Uh, well, yeah. Well, because okay. we're still going to talk about it. We're still going to break it down, right? And there's a there's a decent chance that one of these fights uh, breaks out. You know, COVID's going yeah, around. Yeah, well, again. let's break it. Let's break it. Yeah, let's break it down quick. Go ahead, man. It's your turn. Anyway. I I still maintain that Gamrot is small for this division. And I know Fiziev can, over three rounds, actually, I don't, oh, no, actually, it's a five-rounder. Like, he can get a bit tired. I just don't think, is Dur, Gamrot, it's not that Gamrot's not durable, it's that the way that he fights against really powerful guys causes that durability to get tested yeah. and tested and pushed. And... Like, you can't fucking play that game with Rafael Fiziev. <laughs> like, if he's a much better striker than Benil Dariush is. He's a much better I don't striker know. I don't know that it's that than simple, but that's is. fair. Uh, that's fine. I'm just saying, yeah. my, my, point, my point is that I believe that while he's looking for his entries, while he's pushing the pressure and trying to go in, while he is... I just... I don't think that Fiziev is going to fall over and let himself get... get you know, get grapple, get wrestle, wrestle mauled and grapple mauled in this fight. He is, I think he's going to be landing. And every time he's going to touch this guy, he's going to hurt him. And that's going to sap somehow because Fizia fucking hurts people. And I feel like when Gamrock gets hit, he's one of those dudes where kind of like Frankie Anger, like you see it, you see it land, like you see it impact yep. the guy. Yeah, I heard that. Um, like, is there the is there the chance that he gets over them, just bites them in the mouthpiece, and is able to, you know, control his way to to victory here? Sure, I guess, but he's not gonna. Hurt. I don't think he's gonna hurt Fiziev like at all. And it's you know, and Fiziev's got something to prove coming off of the Gagey fight, and I think. Yeah, man, I just think Fizzy of someone who hurts you when he touches you, and he's going to have 25 minutes to touch this guy. And I don't think, 
I th- I think this is the t- this will be one of the times when the when uh, the damage is overwhelming to Gamrot. I also think that the that the Darius fight probably took you know it. Um, I would be I don't would I wouldn't gather that he's completely recovered from that yet. That was a fucking beating. True, but uh, Gaethje and him had a war in which he took some pretty monster shots as well. And we've seen time oh, and again. Uh, yeah, I'm used to. Yeah, but that's. Fizzy has been taking monster shots forever. That's like. I, I don't worry about. Well, I guess Gamro is. is the, less I, don't, I, I feel like the accumulation. I just think the accumulation on Fiziev is he. I just think he wears it better. He's got a better build to take it. Like, I just don't. Gamrot has never struck me as a as a yeah as being like that strong, and I still think maybe I'm an idiot for saying this, as some of our critics would say. I still think he's got a oh, he's got a 145er build. So first of all, I, I don't understand why you think he's got a 145er build when he is 5'10 and extremely muscled up. Like I, he looks mean? he looks lean. I don't he he looks lean to me when he's in there. He looks but he's like, like very muscular. He's like not thin at all. He's not Tim Means by any but those, stretch. But the guys he's but the guys he's fighting are tanks. Well, he, like, he fought he fought Jalen Turner, who's giant for this weight division. And he fought Benil Dar and he fought Benil Daryush, who's built like an armored turtle. Like, <laughs> well, Daryush, let me see, let me see the the height and reach and all of that for that matchup. Five, both guys are you five got, ten. You gotta, you gotta look at them. Reach, reach you, but, you, yeah. you, but look at the look at the width. I want to know what the shoulder like shoulder to shoulder. Well, Daryush has the reach advantage. Daryush has very long arms, to be fair. But uh, again, I, I don't. I, I'm not sure. Like, I don't really see why you feel like he's a. One like one forty five pound size. He's fighting a guy that's five eight at one fifty five. Rafael Fiziev is a tiny man compared to a lot of these light lightweight. And Rafael Fiziev, you know, probably not a great idea for him to lose, you know, a decent amount of muscle and go to one forty five. But he's a one forty five size man that he's fighting in this matchup. Now here's the thing: um, Yamrot is an excellent, excellent offensive wrestler, right? And he's got an unconventional game where he like more ankle picks than than double leg shots or upper body clinches, um, and. Like, is that going to work well against Fiziev? I don't necessarily think so, right? Like, we, we saw that Gamro is susceptible to body shots uh, against Turner. Gamro has a varied and consistent... And, I'm sorry, uh, Fiziev has a varied and consistent body attack, man. He consistently attacks that body. doesn't have the size advantage that Gamro had. He doesn't have the size advantage that, as we just spoke about, that even Benil Daryush had a, a couple of inches of reach and, and uh, height parity with Gamrot. Um, Gamrot's a great wrestler, but Fiziev has excellent, excellent takedown defense. Gamrot can eventually score takedowns as I think Fiziev tires over the course of the fight, but Gamrot's not a great at holding people down and Fiziev is an immediate and effective scrambler. He gets up quickly. Like, he doesn't allow his hips to rest on the floor for even one second. He explodes off of there, right? Fiziev is very dangerous and explosive early, but he does slow down, right? He's less dangerous in the second round. He's notably less dangerous in the third round. And look, he's dangerous for all five rounds to to an extent. He's more dangerous than most fighters on planet Earth for all five rounds, but notably less so over the course of a fight. And what happens is he'll get kind of tired at the end of the first round, recover in that minute in between, and look really good in that second round for the majority of that time. Yet notably more tired leading up to the third round. But again, that break in between rounds, he looks good early in the third, and then and then you know a really good opponent can start to take it away from him. Um, I know he got that fifth round TKO over uh, over. Uh, sorry, uh, he, he just he's coming off a win over Rafael dos Anjos, um, uh, you know, prior to that loss to Justin Gaethje. But but you know th- that was that was a fight that was starting to go dos Anjos's way, 
right? Dos Santos was starting to look good in that fourth round. And, you know, had he not got caught early in that fifth round, had he not been as old and weathered as he is, you know, that would have been a more competitive fight on paper. There's an argument to be made that Bobby Green beat him uh, back back when they fought in 2021. Brad Riddell, he mainly dominated, right? But part of my bottom line here is that Faziev gets notably less explosive. This was a three-round fight. This would have been a Faziev pick easy, and I would have made this pick earlier. But the fact that it's a five-round, the fact that Mateus Gamrot has multiple five-round fights on his record, the fact that he's fought some really fucking elite competition in Benil Daryush and Jalen Turner and Armand Saryukian, is, you know, to his credit in a five-round situation. But there's an argument to be made. He probably should have lost the Armand Tariqian fight. Argument to be made, he probably should have lost the Jalen Turner fight. And he lost that Benil Daryush fight. So you could argue that that Gamrot could be going into this uh, 0-3 in his last three fights, which would put him at, I think, I think they'll put him at 3-4 and four in the UFC, if that were the case. If the Jalen Turner and Armand Tariqian decisions went the other way, which they he probably should He is getting knocked out in this fight. I am telling there, there's, you, there's You're this confident. I'm surprised you didn't make the pick earlier. But look, I mean, I, I'm, I'm edging Faziev. I know. Well, I honestly, I it's like, it's I didn't realize how late it had gotten. Um I'm, I mean, I'm just it's, as I'm thinking about it too. It's just like, and I may I may be wrong. It's a feeling. My feeling is that Gamrot is that off. He he is he's kind of reckless. I don't know if I would call I, him reckless per se. Um, I, I do I, I do think, think he can be, he can be hit the- and and I think he can like t- be be like be damaged, but he won't like mentally kind of relent but you know the, the the damage weathers him right and so he's not as dynamic with his offense whether it be his striking or his wrestling but his striking fundamentals well, I just, are I just think he place. takes a lot of chances he takes a lot of chances in order to work his offensive wrestling you know what I would love Nick I, uh, I would love it if Fiziev like paced himself and realized that let's say he can throw three or four strikes medium speed and medium power and then explode when he gets a clear opportunity he can be extremely dynamic for all five rounds, but he just cannot go less than 100%. And what I've said about Fazia forever is that he gets tired, but he keeps pushing himself 100%. And I think it's partially because of the way that he trains at Tiger Muay Thai, where they, they, they literally train to exhaustion. Alexander Volkanovsky does this as well. They train to exhaustion, who, by the way, used to train at Tiger Muay Thai. This is not a coincidence. They train themselves to absolute exhaustion, and then they put themselves against a fresh opponent again and again to work past that, right? You're still defending serious takedowns. You're still exchanging strikes with a good striker. You're still hitting pads with full power. And like just the mental wherewithal to keep going hard as hell when you're exhausted goes a long way. I just thought Gamrope might find the openings to potentially take advantage of a more weathered Fiziev. But again, I'm edging Fiziev. I'm, I'm there with you. Um, and, and this was my least confident fight because I'm excited about it. It's a high-level matchup, and, and I, you know, I'm, I'm very intrigued by well, how Well, do you want to take Fiziev, and I'll take Gamera, and we'll bet, we'll bet like three points on it? Do you want to make things interesting? Sure, why not? Let's do it. Oof. Dane. Oh, my God. This is a new, the, the, it's, this it's, is a it's, new it's wrinkle a, where I throw it. This is how people who are ahead at the casino end up going broke. <laughs> <laughs> well, th- this, this makes it, I think, more interesting because we've been going so close. We've been tying, and one of us gets the edge by a point. The other gets the edge by a point. This like, makes it decisive that one of, us, um, uh, like, one of us might just get the edge here, and it's a close fight that could go either way. So why the hell not? Let's do it. 
So, Nikolai, I'm quickly going to go. Oh, through that our, said, mm-hmm. that said, it, this this would if one of the other fights falls out and this becomes yeah. a replacement, yeah, yeah. It, then, it then, goes then, back to being a that's fair. A one that, 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 that's that, that's totally fair. Yeah. So uh, let, let me see. Your first pick was Mizuki Inoue to beat Hannah Goldie. Your second pick was Marina Rodriguez to beat Michelle Waterson. Oh, third, I can't believe I'm doing this. I'm so stupid. <laughs> your your third pick was uh, Bryce Mitch, uh, Dan Ige for two points to beat Bryce Mitchell, which I think is a pretty smart one given those odds. Fourth for you was Muhammad Usman to beat Jake Collier. Your fifth pick was Tim Means to beat Andre Fialho for only one point. Uh, my first pick was... Jacob Malkoon to beat Cody Brundage. Second, I took Brian Battle to beat AJ Fletcher. Third, I took Tamiris Vidal to beat Montserrat Rendon. My fourth pick was Miles Johns for two points over Dan Arguetta. Uh, again, that opportunity, you know, I got to take advantage of it. And my final pick, my fifth pick, was Charles Jordan to beat Ricardo Ramos, which is the one that I'm least confident in in, in all the fights we've picked. And then we have that three-pointer on the main event, which only makes it all the more exciting. Um, this was a this was a good one, Nick. It was a pleasure being on with you. Looking yeah, super forward. fun. Well, mm-hmm. What's next? Hang on. Is there a pay-per-view around the corner? Um, there is. Let me see what's on the schedule quickly. I have to start saving up so that I can, you know. So you can purchase the pay-per-view? <laughs> yeah. Um, let me see. It's... Um... UFC Fight Night 14. Oh, this. Who are these people? Da- oh, that's is one Dawson Bobby Adam, Green the next thing? Um, Am I skipping something or is it Dawson Bobby Green? I, I, like, I'm going through typology and there's like no. There it is. I think it's Dawson yeah. Bobby Green on on November 7th. Does that make So I guess we have a week off. No, October, October, October I'm sorry, 7th. October 7th. Do we have a week off in that case? That's How is. That's lovely. How is oh this card? Yeah. What the fuck is this card? Uh, l- listen, you got Drew Dober, you got Joe Pfeiffer. It's a decent ish main event. Bill Algio's on the card versus Hernandez. Bill Algio, Alexander Hernandez is something yeah. I'd watch. Yeah, oh, yeah, Al- okay, Al- so wait a minute. Yeah. Why is Grant Dawson Bobby? I mean, I like Grant Dawson and I like Bobby Green, but like I don't know. Alex Morano, Joaquin Buckley seems like a bigger fight to me um i i think that grand dawson is seen as a very serious prospect slash contender bobby green is a he he did look amazing in his last fight chris gutierrez back on the prelims baby yeah until until Uh, against montel jack listen this is not a bad card dude like like i I mean like it's it's not a bad card there's a bunch of recognizable it's not a bad card but come on a joe pfeiffer abdul razak al-hassan like co-main event when you could That's have Murano Buckley or Algio Hernandez I, I think in there. the UFC sees Joe Pfeiffer as like a like a star in the making is why they're making that matchup but I agree with you that, really? that seems so silly okay. I, I think so like Dana White like like gave him money or like a place to stay or some shit when Joe Pfeiffer had no money like Dana White does that for his guys he doesn't do that for for guys that he's not seeing as like a prospect potential he wouldn't do that right. for a struggling up and comer who doesn't have a whole lot of upside I mean Grant Dawson looked like his against Mark Madsen against Demir Mazgabov looked fucking amazing. So yeah. that's I'm yeah, I'm all yeah, for yeah. giving Grant Dawson a sh- uh, a showcase. He should have his way with Bobby Green. Um, I'm, I'm not as sure that it's going to be that simple, but I, I agree with you. Grant Dawson should be the favorite. It's just you're right; he's been so dominant lately. It's just Bobby Green is hard to. Bobby Green's really good, him. but it's like when you're like great. I mean, I just think I think he'll be able to grapple fuck. He's just stronger. I think he'll be able to grapple fuck Bobby Green. You know what, Nick? This reminds um, me. I'm going to get on the betting books right now. See what some of those odds are because I usually as it gets closer, like the smarts have brought lines so wide apart that you can't take advantage of as many opportunities. But just quickly looking at that main event, what are the odds? I'm assuming that Dawson's a big favorite, but but probably not as big as he's going to be. Yeah, Dawson 
Dawson's going to be a big favorite. My, I mean, my guess would be like minus 175. Wow, let's minus see. 375. Dude. Minus God 375. Damn, yes. I mean, it's it's probably, I mean, that's crazy talk for this to be this wide apart at this point. Joe Pfeiffer is a minus 360 favorite over, over Al Hassan. You ask me, Al Hassan, you know, at these odds, that's crazy yeah. talk. That's going to get closer. I. I just realized how late it is. Yep. I got a shitload to do in the next hour and forty-five minutes. So awesome. let's, uh, let's wrap yeah, it up. we'll talk in a we'll talk in a couple of weeks. But this is going to be interesting if this three-point thing hangs. Who knows what the state is? You know, either you're either either I could be completely have squandered my lead, lead yeah. completely, or you or could just I wait, could go way ahead. Yeah, yeah, we'll see what happens. All right, brother, take care of yourself. All right, bye.